Recorded live. Live from a undisclosed retirement facility in New Jersey. It's off the post. I'm Russ Cohen. We've got Anthony Mingione. And how are you? Live from my car. This is Anthony Mingione. How is everybody doing this morning? <laughs> and we have Mike Ogello. Mike? Live from my abode, I have some sciatica. That must be because I, you're, I'm talking to somebody from a senior citizen facility. Uh, yeah, don't ask me. I was I was helping move uh, around a uh, an air conditioner for a couple of days. Uh, I'm with you on the back part. All right, so let's talk, start and talk about a little hockey. We'll uh, we'll start off with the Flyers Penguins. That may take a few minutes. So mm-hmm. a lot of the things that we thought would happen would happen. You know, Robert Hag got in there. That that happened. Uh, we can, you know, bitch and moan about how Travis Sanheim should still be in there, but he's not, so whatever. Uh, I was surprised, Ant, that, that Neuverth got the start because I didn't know if he could actually finish a game. He did finish it, but there was a moment. Well, I mean, it's not even like – I'm not even trying to be a jerk about it. There was a moment, and I think it was the either late second, early third, where it looked like when he made a save, he was having a little bit of trouble for a second. And then, I mean, he got through the game – it was a good game for them. The Torrey goal was great, but you have to admit, you probably saw that moment too with Neuverth. Of course, who didn't? I mean, the thing is, I mean, the last time Michael Neuverth made an appearance in net to start, he got hurt. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's just like this is par for the course. You're always at this point of the postseason. It's now, and I I hate this narrative, but it it it, it still bears out that Flyers goaltending will always have you holding your breath the whole game. Yeah, and, and that's just kind of the way it is, and it's honestly, and I, I go back to the fact that I feel like part of the reason why Philadelphia is in the hole that they're in right now is the effect of the goaltending, which yes. means you don't know what you're going to be getting. So I think it creates um, undue mental, um, an, an additional thing that the players that, that the players in front have to think about because they know it's basically a roll of the dice as to what they're going to be getting in that. And that causes, and that thing that makes things particularly difficult for Philadelphia in this series. Now, to their credit, again, Neuberth was able to get through the game. I would say both goals that he gave up, you can definitely. The first one, I think Hag had had had, had some culpability in, yeah. in terms of covering his man. But the second one by Gunsel, that that he put right to the wicket, that was an eminently stoppable shot. Yeah. That was one he should absolutely have had. But again, to Philadelphia's credit, they were able to stem the tide. Um, obviously, with an, from an unlikely source uh, <laughs> in Valtteri Topula in this game. I mean, as soon as that short-handed goal went in, I, I started thinking to myself, and it was late in the period. I started thinking, and the end result of this one might be might actually work in the Flyers' favor because they got yeah. they actually this time were able to stem the second the, the normal second period um, moments where the Penguins have done throughout this series. Yeah, now I want to stop you there for a sec because, like, Philpola, we've always said all year that he's better on the penalty kill than he actually is five-on-five, and that bared out in the game. But also something that I saw that was worked on in training camp and saw maybe twice during the year, and it probably should have been done more, is there is a little bit of connection, and if you want to say, like, magic is not the right word because it's never magic with these two, but... There is a connection between him and Yuri Laterra, and they do play well together. And you saw that on that goal. I remember somebody ripped me on Twitter for saying it, but it does exist. <laughs> no, it does. And again, they've had so many prior years of experience playing on international teams. They know each other well. Yes. There's communication involved as well between the two players. I, yep. I, I think that's part of it. 
And both of them are kind of playing from the same mindset at this point that they're both going to be aggressive penalty killers in this case, whereas whereas Lettera is going to be, you know, obviously putting the body on people. Yeah. He could do a bit more than just that um, in, in that circumstance. So, absolutely, there's something to be said for that, Russ. Yeah, it, it's called it's called kismet. That's what's that, that's what they have. It's just okay. That, yeah, but uh, it's funny because I, I I've paid more attention to this game. Uh, as opposed to Winnipeg-Minnesota, because after Me the too. flourish in the first period with Winnipeg, it, the game was essentially over with. Yeah. So I, I thought, you know, you were going to get that bull rush in the second period from the from the Penguins, which you did with Rust and, and Gensel scoring within a couple minutes of each other, and I really expected the Flyers to just fold, but they, they didn't, and that Philpola goal near the end of the second, I mean, was just completely huge, and then you could see... You know, you could see sort of in the, in the eyes of the Penguins, it's like, let's finish this because we sure as hell don't want to go back to Philadelphia right. for game six. And the goal, you know, the, the winning goal was not anyone's fault. I mean, it just deflected. But right. that's the type of goal you get in the playoffs. And that, you know, that's now, now, the, now the Flyers have a life. Yeah, and, and, and sorry, I literally shot that with one leg, but that's how you do it. The interesting thing is they definitely didn't want to go back to Philly, but Anthony and I have seen enough yeah. where Crosby mm-hmm. is very comfortable playing in Philly. Yes, like, it is. <laughs> it's it's a strange animal. It, it absolutely is. is. Philadelphia feels comfortable playing. I mean, with the exception of obviously the seven nothing, uh, yeah, you know, nu- nuking in game one. Um, in game, it, 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 they they for the most that that is um, how they play. That is not how they normally play in Pittsburgh. They usually play the Penguins particularly well there. It's when they come back to Wells Fargo Center yes. that Philadelphia has all kinds of trouble. And I mean, it bears out. Ten, they were outscored in those two games, ten to one. So really, I while Pittsburgh would have liked to close it out at home, I don't think they're they're going to be nervous at all coming to Philadelphia for Game Six. If anything, it'll simplify. It probably will end up simplifying their game a lot more um, in this circumstance and just play a classic road team game. Um, if Phil, I'll be honest with you, um, I will be pleasant. If Philadelphia is able to win Game Six tomorrow, I'll be pleasantly surprised because the pattern just hasn't bared out so far. Yeah, me too. I mean, if they win Game Six, I'll go cover Game Seven. I, but I, you know, they have to do it first. Now I'm going to levy some criticism, a little on the captain and a little on the coach. A little on the captain because it always does seem like he has to have his back against the wall to actually shoot and sort of try and take over a moment in the game. And, and to the coach's discredit, he's got to do more to get Giroux open like that in the game. Like, you you know, and, and, and it's just it's inexplicable, Ant, why that hasn't happened more this series. But when it happens, he scores. It's, it's pretty obvious. It's trying to find those areas of the ice. That being said, you yeah. do have to give the Penguins some credit as well. They know he's the primary threat. Sure. It's one of those rare, I think it was one of those rare moments where the Penguins in that first period kind of laid off defensively. They were not as tight as they had been uh, in prior games, and I don't know if they felt like there was a little bit of a um, a little a little bit of false sense of security, knowing they have some games to give that they kind of yeah. backed off a little bit instead of going for the kill and trying to shut down Drew what they have for most of the series. But yeah, there was an open spot. They jammed. But three Penguins were behind the net. Val Filpula is able to manage to chip the puck up just along the board to Dvorak who finds a wide open Giroux in front. It's been a rare occurrence in this series that we've seen that. Mike? Sorry, guys. I just I had to step off for a second there. Okay. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, going into this game, I mean, yes, I think all the pressure is on the Penguins to finish out, to not go to a game seven. 
I mean, it, as you said, Crosby has absolutely, you know, had the had the Flyers number for years on end. I mean, it's it. I mean, and I'm not to say you go out and you and you cheap shot them, but you have to do something to break that up. You have to really, uh, you know, because I'm not sure how how healthy Malkin is. I, I you know, coming off that, you know, he got hurt in the in the first period in that game. Well, actually, I'm going to stop you there. So when he got hurt. That was like a battle of the slewfoots, and and yeah. actually Malkin started it and Laterra finished it, so that was mm-hmm. like karma almost for for Malkin. <laughs> it I was. was looking, when I when I watched that, uh, and again when I watched that play, I kind of had a very similar thought. I said, almost like they're both trying to karate kick each other yeah. in the shin yeah. as they're both going down to the ice. And and as much as, as wonderful players as Kenny Malkin is, talent wise. We've seen it over the years how you know that how he plays. Oh yeah, and right. it was kind of it was very interesting certainly um, to see that occur. Now the other thing I wanted to, I wanted to definitely broach with regards to this is the fact that Philadelphia also very much tipped the balances in terms of the physicality in this game, and that's probably one of the biggest things they have to do. And I don't think they did it enough in Philadelphia was engage Pittsburgh physically. And for yeah. as much criticism as it is, oh you know don't play your heavies in the lineup against Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Last night with the hit count forty-eight, I believe to twenty-four, it bared out. I think Philadelphia did a pretty good job of at least making the Penguins know that they were there. And even if you don't completely slow them down uh, entirely, you at least keep that in their heads that this is not a opponent that's waiting to die. Especially and that's, right. and, especially and that's a lot. Especially their defense, Anthony. They went after their defense, and that's you really have to. You have to hit Latang. You have to hit Mata. You really have to lay the body on them because their defense is not deep. And if these guys are limited going into games six and seven, I mean, that, I think it makes it makes your task a lot easier than it would if you didn't do that. All right. So last thing on this series, and I'm not even going to try and predict it anymore because everybody asks me after every game what's going to happen and. I've been right like three out of five times. Like it's just it's impossible to figure out the Flyers. But and the biggest deal is Dominic Simon out or Simone out, Patrick Hornquist in. That's going to make it a lot different. Oh, absolutely. You got to account for Hornquist at all times. He's you know he's your classic. You know, and you name the player, the agitator yeah. in front of the net, and that makes it and and, and that adds nothing. And add to the fact that we don't want to, we need to see what Ivan Provorov's status is because he went right. hard into the boards uh, right before Couturier's goal. We're going to need to see where he's at physically because if he's got to try to physically engage with Hornquist in front and he's really hurting, that could give the Penguins obviously a major advantage there in front of sure. the net going into, into game six. And the coach does have to use Travis Sanheim at home. I mean, not because I did an article. It proves out he's the, got more points thing, at home. And here's the odd thing about this game, though. i got to say, I thought Brandon Manning probably had his best game of the series. There was one play where, again, Phil Kessel really was hard charging and was about to make a cut to the net, and Manning perfectly timed his check to steer him he into did. the boards. And it's, he, I thought that this was probably – if Haxel's going to point out, going to point to why he wants to continue to keep that pair together despite the fact that all the evidence shows they should probably not be playing them as much or breaking them up altogether, um, that's one where he's going to be able to counter and say, see what they were able to do in game five? That's what I'm looking for. Except now Pittsburgh was over five on the power play, and Manning helped out with that like he usually exactly. does, and he had a horrible mm-hmm. penalty in that game, too. So it's a mixed yes, bag. Yeah, it's a mixed bag. You know what you're <laughs> going to be getting. You know but I would use Sandheim for the offense because I think at the end of the day they're going to need it. Any final thoughts on, on this one, Mike? 
No, I, I just I, I agree with you that you really can't predict it. Every time I think Philadelphia is dead, they get some sort of ridiculous performance. I mean, Neuberg. They're the Black Knight. Yeah, the Monty Python's the Black Knight. <laughs> yeah, somebody somebody laid hands on Neuvert's groin, and now all of a sudden he's. Oh, Mike, know. Mike, Mike! I don't need that imagery. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a little too graphic. Mike. All right, <laughs> well, so we, we move on. on. We, we move on to the Winnipeg game, and you know, Mike and I talked about it during the day, and we had a feeling it would be a unless. Devin Dubnik was going to just stop everything. You know, Minnesota's hurt to the point where they really can't muster up much, and Winnipeg's really good. You know, that game ended early. Now, the bad part about that game is and is that I felt like for the Winnipeg fans who are finally experiencing playoffs and actually moving on around, uh, a little too cocky during that game with the chance and everything. they got to slow their roll a little bit. Eh, you know, it's been 31 years since they won a playoff series. I'm willing yeah. to give them a little bit of uh, right. of leeway there to get excited. And if they got a little overexcited, you know what? I'm not going to get on the I'm not going to get on the Jets fans. Certainly, they get they're going to have whoever they end up playing in the second round. Obviously, we anticipate it's going to be Nashville. They're going to obviously get much more of a tough fight there. So let them. You want to let them enjoy this because again, 31 years before before play before they finally managed to win a playoff series, I think they're I think they're entitled to have a little bit of excitement. Mike, yeah, your thoughts? I, I, I think you're misinterpreting things, Russ. I think that they were chanting "We want Nashville" because they're all a bunch of big country music fans. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ah. No, so, Maybe it was the 60 degree weather in Winnipeg. The sun got to them. Anyhow. Yeah, and they're looking for some hot chicken. But no, I, yeah. no, I, 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 you know, I mean. Yes, I mean they got a little carried away, but they're all, it, it's it's forgivable. I mean okay. that you know they they've they've had some you know the the team has moved out of town, the team has come back, they've they've tasted playoff disappointment. You know, finally this team is where I think that they've wanted them to be for a number of years, and they finally got a, a first round win against a team that you know I thought they were going to beat, and they ended up. I, I actually I think I hit this this one perfectly. I said Jets in five, um, you know, but. You know, Armia got hurt. Uh, Myers was limited. Yeah, they did it without more. I mean, there's they do have depth they're, they're, on that team, though. They do. They have depth, but they also have had some dings on, on yeah. in, injury dings, and and that 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 happens. And if they, you know, they have the depth to be able to play like that, you know, play against a Nashville or if Colorado comes back and makes the upset. But I, I you know, I mean, I'm happy for the Jets and Jets fans. But yeah, let's just. Let let them have their fun for a day. I'd have liked to seen Troy Westwood get in for Winnipeg, but uh, you know, guess not. He's he's a CFL guy, guys. Just uh, so you know. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know that sport. <laughs> I know. So anyhow, we move on. I, that was for my Canadian friends. So we move on, and I did watch the Avalanche Predators game. And and just to be fair, I made a Hamburglar joke during the day. Yes. I said that you know. The Hamburg was starting. Hockey, you and every other hockey fan in America and yes, Canada. But, Come on. But, but, no, but, but, I, but my joke was a little cruel. Like my joke was, this is like the Hamburglar getting traded to Burger King, and Burger King just sort of throwing him in as as their new you know mascot. And to be honest, I don't know how he stopped forty four shots. I don't. But Colorado is playing with house money. They do have a great offense. McKinnon is probably the best player in the playoffs or one of the two or three. But the interesting thing about this one, Ant, was after the game, you heard <laughs> you heard McKinnon yep. say Evan Hamburglar, and Hamburglar, that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah, I, did. <laughs> I saw it, and I was, <laughs> I was absolutely dying when I saw it. I, I that was great. Did you say what I thought he said? I hit the, I hit, I hit the rewind on the DVR, went back. I was like, 
He did, and I was laughing for at least a good minute or so. Mike, what are your it thoughts? Was great. Well, I, my thoughts are is that they at late in the third period they're tied one-one, and Colorado puts out a line of Ranton and Landeskog and McKinnon. Yeah. And Nashville can't match up to that line. Now, obviously, no. it's in a it's in a scenario it's in a scenario where you know you're trying to tie the game, and and it, it worked. <laughs> It worked like gangbusters. So I mean, if they keep that line together, but that's all. That's basically all their eggs in one basket. You know, maybe they can force a seventh game. But I think the mistake in in that game was more Nashville pressing for the go-ahead goal late in regulation, and PK Subban pinching in and getting caught yeah. on a two-on-one, caught yeah. you know with the counterattack. And I'm sorry, you know, Subban should know better. He's a he's a veteran, and I know he's a guy who jumps into the attack. You can't do that. Especially late in a game yeah. with the game on the line. I, yeah, I definitely I, so, agree with Mike. I, I, I would agree with Mike there. To me, when I saw that play, I was like, yeah, that was. I, I see it sometimes with, uh, with with Shane Goss' spare, certainly, where occasionally you're just making. And it's, I've seen it happen several times in the series in Philadelphia where, you know, the riverboat gambler mentality isn't always the best idea. And I get it at that point, you want to try to press play, but you got to be able to read the play better than that. And he didn't. Yeah, I, I would have to say a little bit to sort of get on Peter Laviolette. I think they just got to get back to playing more defense and not being so chancy. And, but again, this is why you don't just hand the Stanley cup to anybody. Cause everybody kept saying, well, Nashville is a guarantee, you know, to, to make it to the Stanley. They're not, I mean, Colorado could actually beat them in this series. I mean, it is well, possible. By them, by them playing wide open hockey, they're playing into Colorado's hands. That's right. the only. That's the only type of game that the Avalanche can win. If if, the, if Nashville plays, you know, like they did against Chicago in the first round last year, Colorado would get suffocated. But they're playing, they're playing balls out offensively, and that's the that's. I, I mean, great if you have the ability to play both styles of game. But why don't you play the style of game that you can win at? Yeah, it's a great point, and that's so. That's the only thing I have to say about Nashville. I mean, it's not like Renee's playing bad. He's playing great. But again, this is why nothing's a lock in the NHL. Not even yeah. Pittsburgh to win a you know a third cup in a row. It's just nothing is a lock because you get the every team. So the one thing about the NHL is talent is pretty evenly dispersed amongst teams. And once you get in the playoffs, and every team's got at least a couple of lethal scores. And because of that, you could get stung at any time. And if if for some reason Andrew Hammond is going to play out of his mind, it's possible Nashville could lose this series. If he's able to for certainly a couple more games, absolutely there's a chance. But I I I, I my anticipation is that Nashville will uh, they'll recognize what mistakes they made in Game Five and play a smart, balanced attack and play with a smart, balanced approach on the road in Game Six in Colorado. My anticipation is that Nashville will be able to close this thing out in six uh, in this circumstance. I originally had the Preds, I think, in five, so it's pretty close in that respect. I still think, because, as Mike said, when you're, throwing, when you're able to throw all the eggs in one basket while you have a lead, like as, as, as the Avs did, I think that in that isolated circumstance, that works. But I think it's going to be I, – I, I'm, I'm fairly confident in Nashville being able to do it. But you're right. I mean – Anything can happen. Somebody gets hot. I, I always refer to it as the uh, the John John Drew syndrome, or yep. um, I'm trying to think of the uh, goal or from a goalie perspective. Uh, um, oh my God, on my tongue. The former Flyer who was playing for the Penguins, the goal, the goalie. Oh my God, it's on my tongue. Uh, 
I, I don't know. Oof. He got hot one year. Uh, Hedberg, no, not Hedberg. What was Kenny, it? Kenny Raggett, or really? No, no, no. No, but Raggett did play for recent. Pittsburgh. He was a yeah. Swedish gold. He was a Swedish goaltender. Oh, Johan Hedberg. 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 Exactly. That was okay. right. I said it right. I call it Johan. The moose. The moose. The moose. Yeah. Exactly. So that, I always had to key that in the back of the mind. That there's always somebody you just don't expect. Yeah. So you no. No. No doubt. Yeah. Mike. Go ahead, Mike. If you were going to say something. No, I was just going to say, uh, you know, if you're going to go back to playoff guys in Buffalo, Eddie Stanowski, the former St. Louis Blues goaltender oh, back in the 70s, he stood he stood on his head and made the, made the Sabres uh, one of those best of three series, a complete nightmare. So I just wanted to go down that road. <laughs> yeah, thanks for thank you, thank for thanks for bringing us back to the leaded gasoline days, Mike. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we 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 talked to we're talking about. The Devil's Lightning. Now, this one is going to be interesting because, like, we're all counting the Devils for dead. I know yeah. we are. Uh, they they pulled one out last game. They did. No, actually, no. Last game they lost, right? Right. They lost. Last game they lost. The one before that they pulled out. Last game, though, what they did pull out was something interesting, and they um, they pulled out, I forget his first name. Is it Patrick Warburton, who, who yeah. played Putty on Putty. Seinfeld? Putty. And he yeah. actually... Um, had his face painted again and went shirtless like he did in Seinfeld. And the first thought from some people was like, ooh, uh, it's a lot of years later. But I, to his credit, he's in pretty good shape, man. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, it, it was a funny – it was certainly a funny bit. I, I, I was kind of wondering whether or not at a certain point we might see him in the series. If it was, if you really while. wondered that? I never even thought about it. I really it. did. I actually wow. kind of saw it because, again, this is the first appearance for the Devils in a, while, in a little while for a yeah. – a playoff series, and there was a part. I kind of it was like I, I was. I saw. I think what happened was I was looking in the crowd during Game Three, and I saw somebody with a painted face, and I and and Putty immediately popped in my head, and I was like, <laughs> and see, I said, I wonder if he, I wonder if they're gonna bring him. I wonder if they're gonna bring him in for it. And I I figured it would have been Game Three, the first game that they would have brought him in. And when I didn't see him. I was like, ah, it probably won't happen. And then Game Four, I look up and bam, there's Patrick Warburton, and I'm like. There you go. <laughs> See, I I thought they were gonna bring in Miroslav Shatan. Nice. <laughs> we were we waited for years for that, Michael. It never happened. It's so See, Pat Verbeek is working for another organization. Otherwise, they might have brought him in. But anyhow, so <laughs> does anybody on the panel on on the distinguished panel here think that this series is moving on beyond that their next game? Mm, no, I think Tam. I think the Devils had their opportunity here. Uh, they needed to even the series up. Losing game, losing game four. I just feel like Tampa doesn't want to let the uh, the pa- Pandora's box open for a longer series. I think Tampa closes it. Okay, so go ahead, uh, Mike. No, no, I was just going to say, barring, barring a Andrew Hammond like performance out of Corey Schneider, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to end in five. But I mean, I thought the Flyers Penguins was going to end in five. I thought. Nashville, Colorado is going to end in five. So is it possible? Sure, but not likely. Yeah, and you voted for Dewey too, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I was minus 19 at that point. Thank you oh, very okay. much. All right. And so now we've got Blue Jackets Capitals. Another game at 3 o'clock. Like, again, NHL scheduling. And, like, why do you have to have a game to flip to? To me, this is stupid. This is NBC. They must have golf on or something, and and this is annoying for me as just a hockey fan that they have two games on at three o'clock. Don't you think that's dumb? 
it is strange. I would think I would rather have the focus on the one game, and then as soon as the one game gets over with, you keep the continuous, you know, broadcast yeah. straight through. But again, I mean, what are they showing uh, at Staten Island Hustle on CNBC? Like, why do we? <laughs> what are they doing to us here? We're now, we're now two weeks in a row now. We're discussing Staten Island Hustle. Can we just leave it to one week? Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm really not feeling like this. Well, I, 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 think, I think I actually have a possible. I think I actually have a possible explanation because Uh-oh. if they play, if they played one of the one of the two games that they're playing in the afternoon at night, since they're playing Boston Toronto on NBC and not on NBCSN or or one of the subsidiary networks, they're taking viewers away from the, the national game that they want to get as many eyeballs on. Nah, I got Maybe the I got the solution, Mike. Devil's Lightning could have been one o'clock. Blues Capitals could have been three o'clock. Problem okay. solved, and then you've got overlap too. Right, I, I agree. Yeah, that would have been fine. All right, but anyhow, in Blues Capital, Blue Jackets Capitals, uh, and uh, Tortorella said something dumb on purpose mm-hmm. that hey, they just laid an egg, and we're all supposed to believe that that's okay with Torts that they played an awful game because we know it's not. So then everybody is certainly not me, but a lot of people. I, you got writing, that impression that you, you got that impression that that's that's what he meant because oh, I, mean, I know you. Yeah. Eh, yeah. Maybe. He did that maybe. so everybody would write, how stupid is John Tortorella, you know, like yesterday. Like, that's why he did that. So nobody would talk about the fact that the Blue Jackets can't score in a lot of games because the Capitals. So the one, then it's so, if anything, then that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant ploy on, on Torch's part. Correct. Then, because then, yeah, yeah, because yeah. then it's, yeah. the focus isn't on his players, it's on him. And, and really, I'm just saying I'm not falling for it. Can act like it can act as a shield in that circumstance. Yeah. Right? I'm just saying I'm not falling for it. That's, that's what I'm saying. Oh, that's we, you. Yeah, right. I, I I look beyond. <laughs> I look beyond. Trust me. Yes, I get it. You're beyond. Thank you, Kreskin. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but the thing is, the one thing I've been saying, Ant, that the Capitals did that was good was they took Yarabek out and they put Christian Juice in, and it's really helped their defense. What yeah. Tortorella has done that's not so good is he can't figure out how to get more offense out of his team, and if he can't, with Braden Holpe playing better. They could actually lose this series, even though they were in the driver's seat, which to me is crazy. Yeah. No, I I completely I, I concur with that. It, they they have to figure. Sports does have to figure out ways here, heading back to Washington here for Game Five, how and how to get that offense back on track. It's almost as if like, the, 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 as good a performance as they had, I think, in games in the first couple of games. At the same time, those games were were pretty tight, and they could have gone either way. Yeah. Now, again. They've always struggled in the postseason, so there, it could be a case of, you know, overexcitement on a young team's part of being up 2-0 and coming back home and having a lot of energy. But the Caps are not a team to be trifled with. As much as I, I don't think they are the team they were a few years ago, they've got oodles and oodles of postseason experience. And, right. again, if Holpe is back to being Holpe again, that, in my mind, negates the biggest advantage that the Blue Jackets have, which is Sergei Bobrovsky in that. So in my mind, in this circumstance, yeah, I think there is definitely some concern. here. I mean, I did pick the Blue Jackets to win the series, but I, th- I, I had seven games, and so far this is, I think it's playing in that direction. Mike? Yeah, in the, in the two games in Columbus, I thought Bobrovsky was rather pedestrian, and they, they, they obviously need him to stand on his head for them to win. But, but I, I think I think – Tortorella is is pushing the right buttons when it comes to you know his team because I mean he's it's not like he's playing Panarin twelve minutes he played him t- almost twenty one minutes he played Atkinson over twenty two minutes 
he's playing Dubois a ton because Dubois yeah. appears capable of, of playing those kind of minutes and matching up against uh, either Kuznetsov or Backstrom. So yeah. I, I don't I don't know if he has enough offensive uh, weapons. He probably needs his defense to kick in some offense. You know, with Wierenski and Jones, that's possible. But in the end, he needs Bobrovsky to stand on his head, and he just didn't do that in Game Three and Four. Yeah, I just I don't know who the Black Aces are off the top of my head, and of course, it, you you wish you could be able to find that, but you know, there's some website out there that doesn't make it easy. But it almost seems like Ant they could use an infusion of one more. Like they've been using Milano, which is good. It almost seems like they could use another like bigger body in there to sort of help, even if it means taking out Oliver Bjorkstrand for a game. Yeah, I have a tough time. I, I, Bjorkstrand is a guy I think who can who can actually be a difference maker here. So it's I, I would be okay, but and that, somebody I, I would else. I would be hesitant to do that. Yeah, it would be somebody else in this circumstance. Um, uh, we'll see. Again, I'm not sure. I got to look at Columbus's full roster to see who the other black cases are. I don't have it in front of me here. Yeah, but, I don't either. Um, I, I I concur. I think a, bo- a large body, a big body who can kind of jam in on the on, on the Penguins defense a little bit more and create some havoc in front of Bolpe would go a long way. Anything to add on that, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that I mean Holpe really I I thought stepped up as opposed to what. Bobrovsky did in the two games yeah. in Columbus, and then you know after, I mean, all, and all, it sort of puts the focus on Barry Trotz going with Grubauer in the first two games. Where would Washington be if they hadn't started Grubauer? If they actually had started Holpe and Holpe played the way he has in these two games, they could be up three to uh, one. They could this this I, could I, be I, over I, with. I, I, I Grubauer was going was, was was really going well there going into the postseason. I'm not going to get on Trotz. For starting Grubauer at that no, point, I thought no. he was playing particularly well. Um, it's a good. If anything, it goes back to how Holtby ended up losing his, you know, his starting job in this circumstance. Yes. I'm not putting it on Trotz. I'm putting it on the fact that Holtby. It took, you know, losing the job to finally snap him too. Yeah. When he got his opportunity, we give Holtby credit for that, but. I'm 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 not going to get on trials for starting Grubauer at the start. Of the yeah, series. and for Game Four, Wenberg was a was an injury scratch. I, I don't know if Jack, Jack Johnson is a health scratch or not, but I'm looking looking at their list, and there's really nobody there that I think would jumpstart their offense uh, that got scratched. I think he's putting the best lineup out there that's possible. Lucas yes. Sedlak, maybe. I mean, I don't know. The one thing I'll add to the Borkstrand thing is he's got two points in eight playoff games. I would take him out. Anyhow. Um, we'll move to the Maple Leafs Bruins. Mike, we've got two minutes left. Now we'll run a few minutes in overtime. We can't, we can't do that to you. Give us what your, what your thoughts are, your unfettered thoughts on this game. And is there still going to be a series or are there going to be handshakes? Well, I mean, I think it, uh, it, strangely enough, the the decision that didn't uh, make any kind of difference in game four, at least to the Leafs it didn't with the, with Patrice Bergeron might be at the center of their chances in game five, because Joe Haggerty reported yesterday that Bergeron was skating, but up three games to one, you know, maybe Bruce Cassidy plays with house money and says, okay, we'll sit Bergeron another game. And, and, you know, if we, if, if we can win on home ice, like we did in Toronto in game four without him, then it gives him uh, you know, a chance to, to heal. It's not like it's apparently it's not a severe injury, but it's a nagging one, but it's something yeah. that has been hampering them. And the Leafs, simply blew an opportunity in game four. They had, you know, they had Boston without their best player, arguably um, their, 
the Leafs' big players didn't step up other than Mitch Marner, who played really really well. And the big players for Boston, Chara, Marchand, Pasternak, and Rask, did. Now, maybe there will be some desperation on the part of the Leafs. They know it's do or die. They get Kadri back in the lineup. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how long it takes for him to get penalized or take a run at somebody based on what, he, what he's done already in the playoffs. But, I, I, you know, it's possible that the Leafs can bring it back to – uh, to Toronto, down three games to two. Uh, but, you know, Boston is a team that just doesn't move. They're solid, they're defensive, they're, they're experienced. They've, I think even without Bergeron, they can, they can end the series tonight. I think it's, it's basically a pick game. And I just got a, uh, a text from the ghost of Bill Barocco. He says it's over. What do you think? <laughs> mm, I'm not willing to go as far as to say that the series is over just yet. That being said, as Mike alluded to, Boston, if Boston plays their game and imposes their will fairly early in this, I could very well see uh, the Bruins closing things out. But I think the return of Kadri, especially if he's got his head screwed on straight, gives Toronto some better matchup options here. I just feel like they've been playing the series, obviously, not quite one arm tied behind their back, but certainly hampered without having him in there to at least roll better matchups out there. I think uh, a more focused Kadri helps the Toronto helps Toronto's uh chances in this. I, I'm gonna Or go will he be less think, focused because he'll just be aggravated. Like it's you never know. It's again it's a dice roll. We don't yeah. know. But again, once you've been tagged for three for a three game suspension, that better be your come to Jesus moment for the playoffs here because, <laughs> you know Yeah. Because <laughs> your team's probably already looking at you already, you know, with giving you the side eye to begin with. So you need to be a much more focused player just because your team needs you to be. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're doing that. You're doing yourself a, a, a disservice, not just for your, you know, your situation with the lease, but, you know, going forward from here. So I'm not saying that they're going to be moving off of Kadri, but you know, this is a big negative, certainly uh, after what happened um, in this it, for, for the lease in the circumstance in terms of how they probably look at, at Kadri in terms of he, him needing to really lock things down. But I'm going to say, I'm going to think, for, I'm going to say, um, Toronto is able to, much like Philadelphia did last night, I think Toronto's going to be able to squeeze one out here in Boston. It'll be a one-goal game. might be an OT game, and I think the series goes back to Toronto for game six. Mike, there's somebody on the, on the Toronto bench who has four playoff points and 44 pims in 30 games. I'm sure you know who that is. Would you like to see him in the lineup tonight? Um, probably not because it's Matt uh, Martin that we're talking about for people who yeah, don't. Know. Of course, no, because <laughs> I think I think the time to play Matt Martin in this series was was in game was in game two or game three when Boston was really imposing their physical will. Yeah. Now I think that now I think if that's sort of passed, now it's you know now I think it's more a skill on skill and and you know players who play twenty minutes a night like uh, like an Austin Matthews fighting through uh, the the. You know the checking of the Bruins. Now, one one thing here: um, reports that Bergeron is going to play tonight. Uh, Leo Komarov is skating at morning skate, but probably won't play. But uh, William Nylander, after being basically a no-show in three of the four games, has been demoted to the fourth line. So Babcock mm. is, is doing the mix master here. He's putting Connor Brown with uh, Matthews on the first line, and he's put Caspery Kapanen with uh, Ben Reemsdyk and Bozak. So, I mean, he's trying to shake things up because essentially, other than the one line with Marlowe and Marner, their their other lines have been dormant. Okay, and 
I, I did just get word that um, the Bruins are moving big vats of chowder into the uh, home locker room. I I got to caution them. I mean, the Red Sox did pop some champagne a little early in 86. They might not want to do that. But, you know, I don't know if this report's accurate, though. We'll see. Hey, listen, you're talking to a person who, during the Super Bowl this year, his wife made, uh, New, England, made New England clam chowder. Uh, <laughs> well, so as, just, as a... just, I, I, can, I can personally vouch for the uh for the at least the um karmic properties of New England clam chowder. Well, as opposed to Mike Babcock who at the at the beginning of the series says I like clam chowder, I do not. So <laughs> Of course you don't like. There's very few things you like. Anyhow, we're going to leave it there. That's it for off the post and we'll catch everybody next time. Take care everybody.